0: Hi, it's Jamie, and I'm Portia, and we are Just Two Pearls.
1: Join us for Adventures in Pearls.
0: A reflection. It's hard to imagine the idea that the nearness of God is concomitant with a suffering free life. When that same God became human and was present before those who followed him in storms, conflict, and betrayal. Jesus didn't stay in some protected, serene, holy building where they could, I think I can, their way to him. Instead, he was there walking with them to the store and walking toward them in the storm. He walked through the mundane and the transcendent, the blissful and the terrifying. Jesus was near to human suffering and celebration, messing with everybody's ideas of what having God close by looked like. Maybe the point for us is not that we can make our way to God if we just listen to our internal power of positive thinking voice, if we muster up enough faith. Maybe the point is that God is there in the chaos to begin with, right there in the muck of things, regardless of whether that is what we think being close to God looks like. Why do you doubt that? And that is by Nadia Boltz Weber. She is the founding pastor of House, For All Sinners and Saints, which is located in Denver, Colorado. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Jamie.
1: Well, I have an adventure I would like to share, one that gave me great joy. Mm. Because, Jamie, I felt like this was a decision that I made, and it was so spontaneous, and it was great. So let me tell you what I did. Okay. One Sunday, after a long day at church, Jamie, and I say long, I mean long. Cause, you know, <laughs> church days are long. But, this, but it was extra long because there was an event after church. So you know how there's an mm-hmm. event after?
0: Yeah, so I,
1: I get home, and it's about 6 o'clock after this event. And I decide that I'm going to sit at home and just watch the American Music Awards, you know, just be, you know, chill. No, 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 yeah. no, no. I get on social media, and I see on my timeline people getting ready to go out, and I'm like, it's a Sunday night. What's possibly going on? Well, girl, only to find out that Janet Jackson is going Mm. to be at the Prudential Center.
0: Right, and you're right there.
1: yeah, and so I knew she was going to be over in Brooklyn because she was at the Barclays Center, so I knew all that was happening, blah, 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 but I had no idea Jen Jackson was going to be in Newark. Girl, so you know what I did with the quickness? Grabbed all of my coinage, and I yes. went online to see if there was a single ticket left anywhere that wasn't going to cost, you know, break the bank, right? So I was like, right. what can I do? So I looked And I looked, and I said, well, what do you know? There is a floor seat that is reasonably priced, When I mean mean reasonably priced. And I was like, no way. And it wasn't a resale ticket, you know, it was like astronomical amounts. It was like an actual venue sale ticket. And I was like, no way. And I was like, you know what? This is my Christmas birthday gift to myself, right? And I called my mom. I was like, Mom, should I do this? And she's like, Why not? You're only going to, like, when do you really think you're going to see her again? When is she really getting ready to go out on tour again? She's 51. She just had this baby, you know, and she's no longer in her prime, but she is a legend nonetheless. So I said, you know what? You're right, Mom. So I bought the ticket, called the lift. Got myself down to the Prudential Center because, you know, girl, I do not want to deal with that after-concert traffic. Now, I love going to concerts, so I know all about the after-concert traffic. I'm very, very, very up on it. Like I look up the set list for the concert venue so I know exactly what songs are going to be toward the end so I know which one to leave out on so I can get to my car and leave. But, yeah, I didn't want to do that because this time it was in terms of my driving because this is Newark, and I don't know Newark like that, and I don't know Newark concert goers like that. I know New Yorkers. I know people in Connecticut. I know people in Atlanta, Chicago. Newark is a different belly beast, okay? So I had to figure it out. But so I took that lift. Girl, the concert was amazing. Janet put on a show. She was fantastic, fabulous in all things, you know, redheaded realness of Janet Jackson, you know, doing her breakdown dances to If, doing her um, breakdown dances to Rhythm Nation, just all around fantastic. And so it was a joy. I just was just jamming and vibing, singing all the songs, you know, um, in the concert. Of course, you know, because I'm short. I I will say this: I will never get another floor seat as long as I live. Um, not because it's not wonderful in a big party, but because I'm short. And right. real talk, I can't see. But I could see her barely. But she's five, like she's like five two, like she's short, like me. So how is five two going to see this other five two? You know, with like six foot right. people in front of them. But in any case, um, thank God for jumbotrons, and 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 um, I was able to see her. Um, you know, like I said, I was able to – thank God I had on heels. Because if I didn't have on shoes, Jamie, I would have been done. Like, I would not have been able to see. But thankfully, I was able to see, um, and I was able to say I breathed the same air as Janet Jackson. Yeah. Um But, you know, I was really glad because Janet is someone who I really look up to, I really admire. The Velvet Rope is my all-time favorite Janet album for all the reasons, um, for all the right reasons, because she was very vulnerable. She was coming into herself. She was sharing so many um, different issues that she was going through personally. and, um, And plus, my middle name is Demita, so, you know, she's my namesake. So, you know, we have we share a middle name and if no people may not know this, but I actually got my middle name because my sister opened up um an ebony magazine in March of nineteen ninety and boom, there was Janet Jackson and they were like, We need a middle name with a D and she says, How about Danita? So I literally got my middle name, Danita, from Janet Jackson.
0: And so that
1: is my adventure story for this
0: week. I love that. That's so I love it that you just decided with a quickness what you were going to do
1: and you were about it.
0: Yeah, I wasn't going to let no one change my mind. I was like, this is what I want to do and
1: I'm going to do it. (laughs) You know, and I think some of the best moments are when we do things that we really want to do and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And I had so much fun. And I was actually home by 11 o'clock, Jamie. Yeah, girl, because okay. I called that list. I showed up did That concert was over a little bit after 10.30. I ran um, out at the last song. I knew what the last song was. It wasn't a song I really knew that well or cared for like that, so, you know, no shade. But um, I called that list because I knew that people were going to be calling lists. Girl, the city streets was blocked off and everything. And I got in that list, and I was home before 11. 10.57. Okay, to be
2: Cinderella.
0: Okay. <laughs> oh yes.
2: You mm-hmm. We turn into
0: a pumpkin out here in these streets. So no, we ma'am. haven't talked about this on the show before, but we need to talk about this. Like, I know we're only in our late 20s. We still young and fly. But, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: post, say about the day I turned 26, and, you know, I was already an old lady before that. But definitely after turning 26, I'm like, I don't want to be out at midnight with y'all. Like, I just, I am 30 in my head already. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do this with y'all. <laughs>
1: Oh, I hear you. Like, for me to have gone out on a Sunday night and be like, you know what, I'm going, that was a big step because, you know, I don't want to go nowhere. It's like, girl, the sun is down. I need to be down with it. Like, I need to be at home, you know? Especially this time of year. Yes.
0: Like, even for some reason in my head going to California, I was like, oh, it's going to be sunny all the time. No, like, during the wintertime, the sun sets at 5 p.m. everywhere, but that's how it works. So when I see that sunset, I'm like, okay, and that's a wrap for the day. Like, unless I'm already out somewhere doing something, in which case I'm game, but if I have to go back out and the sun is down, it might not happen. So mm. I approve. I completely approve of your decision to go out, make it happen, see, Janet. your mom was right. How many opportunities are you going to get? So that's a great adventure, Portia. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Okay, and so today, uh, Pearls, we are going to be talking about, which that Janet is like such a good segue, we're going to be talking about black joy, which can be so hard to find these days. And so Portia's adventure is just such a great example of how even though this world can sometimes get us down, that we can still see the brightness around us and go out and explore new things and have new adventures and just find time to like kick up our heels and let your hair down. And laugh a little bit. I think that's actually one of the most, one of the best forms of resistance that we can be both woke and joyful at the same time. And so we are going to bring back um, our friend Rashad Raymond Moore. But I'm really excited to have this conversation because I think this has been, in terms of our nation, I think just in terms of even the way that the national news impacts things that we already have going on in our own lives. You know, um, I think so many women, you know, it was proven so many women have experiences with uh, sexual violence in all of its myriad forms, and there are men who have that experience, too. And I think what's going on in Hollywood and in the political world, yes, those are other people's lives, but they remind us of some of the traumas and experiences that we've had in our own lives. So it can hit really close to home, even though it's not us. And so I think it's super important that we find joy in the midst of that. We are here with the Reverend Rashad Raymond Moore, who we all had the pleasure of hearing from earlier in the season. But just for those who have not um, heard from Reverend Moore in the past, he is an assistant minister at Abyssinian Baptist Church, which is in New York City. Um, He is a graduate of Union Theological Seminary, also in the city of New York. He's a New Yorker, y'all. He also studied at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, and he currently is a Ph.D. student at the Teachers College at Columbia University, also in New York. So this is a New Yorker through and through everyone, and what Reverend Rashad is all about is black joy, and so that's going to be a huge part of what we're talking to him about today, and we're so grateful that you are here with us today. Rashad Raymond Moore, how are you doing?
2: All is well. How are you?
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rashad. And so we're
1: going to just jump right into it talking about Black Joy because you've actually been quoted and cited in text. Um, and on social media, even though you have shared that you're not necessarily the originator of the term Black, Joy, um, term Black Joy, but you are someone who has really brought it to the forefront amongst, in our generation. And um, so you're really a trailblazer and a spearheader in that regard. And so, Rashad, if you would please share with us a little bit about Black Joy, especially in this political climate, especially in this time and all that we're seeing. We see so much happening. We know all that's going on. So, could you just share, in the hopes of this Christmas season, what can we look forward to in talking about Black Joy?
2: Well, thank you again for having me. It's definitely a pleasure to be back on your show. I have enjoyed many of the episodes so far this season, so, this is always an honor. So yeah, first of all, I want to be very, very clear in saying that I am not the originator of Black Joy, that Black Joy was a hashtag that I came across, and I would say this was in 2015. Black Joy kind of appeared on the scene right around early 2015 following um, what I think was a just a season of a threat to joy I think this is like June 2015 where in the span of two weeks we saw several different incidents where um, a group of children who were at a party in a cul-de-sac in Texas were um, attacked by police officers while they were running through sprinklers. And watching the video of a young girl being pushed to the ground by a police officer while she's in a bikini was definitely just one of the – was very, very horrible Then a couple of weeks after that, we all watched as nine congregants were gunned down in the middle of Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina. And then a week after that, there was a group of black women, a reading group, traveling on a train in Napa Valley, and they were uh, forced off of the train because they were too loud, because they were laughing. And so in those three incidents, we saw this threat to black joy, and so in the... Larger discourse, we often talk about what happens when black people are killed, but my argument is that it's not just about death in the physical sense, but the fact that a community is not allowed to experience joy in itself is a real problem. So back in 2015 here at Abyssinian, I was charged with organizing our homecoming block party once again. And that's when I decided that it would be a great idea to bring the conversation of black joy that was on the Twitterverse to bring it to the church. I believe as a black man in America, as a millennial who literally is living in this season of despair, I believe that we have a mandate, we have a responsibility to reclaim the importance of joy, not only in society, but also in our churches. I don't want to go too long-winded, but I do believe that there needs to be a conversation between the streets talking about black joy and the church talking about black joy. I would say that growing up in church, serving at a church full-time, sometimes we don't take joy seriously. We don't take joy seriously. We can see this in the fact that many of our churches, many of our preaching friends, many of our churches when we're in worship, we are... Definitely exposed to a constant diet of what I call suffering. This is why you can go to a black church in the middle of Advent or in the middle of the Christmas season and still hear a preacher preach about putting Jesus on the cross. We are so committed, we are so exposed to this diet of suffering that we put Jesus on the cross even before Jesus is born. And I think that we have to do something different differently. I I believe that we need to talk about joy in more intentional ways. And so one of the first sermons that God gave me on the theme of black joy was definitely the text where Jesus turns water into wine. When I read the Bible, I realize, especially the Gospels, that the first miracle that Jesus performed wasn't healing the sick, it wasn't doing ministry in the community. The first miracle that Jesus performed was making sure that the people that he loved and lived with had an opportunity to experience joy. And it was in that scene when he committed, when he created water into wine, that he was able to spend time with his family and friends. And because he was spending time with his family and friends, it was his mother who was able to see something in him that he did not see in himself. And so it is my my true belief and true philosophy that if we are going to survive in these times, we must be very, very intentional about creating but also protecting our spaces of joy.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of preaching, especially during the season of Advent, um, which, of course, we have all the things that are happening in the black community, but we also have, um, you know, a steady diet of news, not just regarding black people, although we know that white supremacy is a lot of the foundation of this country and a lot of what we consume is, is through that lens. Um, but also in terms of mistreatment of women and children, mistreatment of the poor. Um, and so during this season, what is it that we are to say to those things and how do we find joy and hope and hold it in tension that there are all of these um, perhaps negative or traumatizing things that are happening in the world and hold that intention with that feeling of joy that I do believe that we are called to have not only as black people but also as Christian people of faith in general? How do we hold those two ideas in tension?
2: Wow. That's a really good question. Can you just say more about that?
0: Sure. You know, today I was doing some writing and I was was just thinking about even the time of Jesus's birth, and even the the violence that's inherent in that story. Even at this moment of joy, we also have this moment where we see this 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 hunting down of children who we know as Black folks. We know these are babies of color, right? Who Herod is hunting down. Um, and that's all because of Jesus' birth, right? So there's this there's this death that's happening even in the midst of this. Um, incredible moment of joy and this needing of the Christ child to flee away, right? And, and so, yeah, I'm just kind of wondering, like, what does it look like for us to honestly preach on the, the traumas that are even happening in this Christmas story um, oh, right, right, while right. also holding close to that joy of what we received, the hope that we receive from this newborn child?
2: Yeah, Jamie, you're right. I think that, again, that's also one of the reasons why, ministry, preaching is not a cookie-cutter, black or white um, conversation. It's it's the fact that we are living in the muck and the mire of the gray space, the in-between, that there is no way that we can celebrate and talk about joy without addressing the reality of violence and death. And we see that the Advent story, the Christmas story, Points to how we live in that tension, where there is all of this hell that's going on around us, and then yet in the midst of all the hell, there is this new baby who is born, and we we all know that when a new baby is born, birthed, and a new baby comes home, it really does change things for the entire house, for the family, for the community. And even though there is this hell that's going on outside, there is still also this glimmer of hope. There's um, a, a proverb from the Jewish tradition that says that every child can be the Messiah in the sense that we don't know which one of these children that's born today in whatever situation, whether it be in in Brooklyn or in Prince George's County, we don't know which one of these children is actually going to be the Messiah. And so that's that sense of hope. But I do think that as faithful witnesses, a part of what we're called to do is to sit in the tension of the despair and sit in the tension of the hope. For example, yesterday I preached a sermon for our first Advent Sunday from Isaiah chapter 64 where the community is living in despair because the promises that they were expecting are not fulfilled. And God turned away from them, they believed, because they had forsaken their commitment to justice and righteousness and from that text after wrestling with it I realize that we can't really celebrate Christ being born into the world in 2017 if we don't address all of the violence of the sexual assault cases that are coming to the light right now right and so as a preacher I am forced with the question of whether or not I ignore the reality to embrace the joy or do I sit with the tension of the despair in order to appreciate this sense of joy that we believe is coming. I believe that it's joy that allows us to remain steadfast and to remain alive in the despair. And so joy for black people is not a feeling that we're waiting to come. It's not a holiday. Joy is something that we have always had to create. We have always had to create spaces of joy in the midst of despair and someone who writes about this is willie jennings at harvard um, Mm -hmm. a part of the theology of joy project where you can you can look across our history and every tradition that we have that brings joy was something that we created we talk about the fact that jumping the broom was something that we created when black marriages were illegal um Music, the jazz music that came out of New Orleans was created when black folk in New Orleans found the discarded instruments of an army. Uh, We're talking about hip-hop that was created on the corner of Cedric and Cedar in the Bronx when some young cats took their turntables and connected them to the streetlight in order to do their first mixing. That joy is not a feeling that we wait for. It's not an emotion. It's not just an event, but it has always been created by our own people. It's frying fish and having a rent party when people could not uh, pay their rent, and so the the community would come together to do a party so we can make sure that Ms. Brenda can stay in her apartment. It's always us tapping into that same tradition of turning water into wine. You're going to have to create the joy in the midst of the despair.
1: That's all really, really powerful, um, Rashad. It really is. And I think, Jamie, you asked an excellent question um, about this joy, even in the midst of all this despair, in the midst of all this evil, in the midst of all this violence. Um, and I think this this Christmas season in particular, this is a great opportunity for us to reassess the Christmas story, right? And it doesn't mean that it's any less powerful or that it's any less meaningful. But how do we look at the context, the culture, how do we look at all that's happening like around us, and then still having that opportunity to kind of have a question, have a que- like questioning what we've always know, like what we're familiar with. Yeah, just assessing the text and just looking at it different, differently, um, in terms of just all of the sexual violence that we're seeing. And so, Dr. Will Gaffney brought up in her article um, not that long ago about did Mary, the Virgin Mary, who we all love, right? Um, did she say me too? So this 13-year-old, 14-year-old peasant girl who is being subject to um, use her body to bring forth this gift into the world, did she have some apprehension and say, Me Too? And so what do you make of us speaking about um, the Me Too and sexual violence against women or women not necessarily always having the space for consent in our churches and in the greater society. And so how should we be having this conversation in our
2: churches? Oh, my God, yeah. A friend of mine used to ask that question um, a lot in reference to did Mary consent to that? Um, And, again, the Christmas story is so rich and yet it's so challenging Right, she's 14 years old and she did not consent to the <laughs> to being right. Ooh, I would have to say on that note I do not know. I do not know. I think in terms of thinking about the culture of sexual assault that we live in, I think that that's one of the moments when I remain quiet and I want to hear what my sisters have to say. Even yesterday in addressing sexual assault in my Advent sermon, I was more prone to calling brothers, um, calling us all to be more aware of the ways in which sometimes our complacency and our silence in the in the face of um, sexual violence leaves us guilty in some parts, but I also wanted to call men in the congregation to be very, very conscious of the ways in which somehow, in ways in which sometimes our pleasures and our physical emotions and creature cravings lead us to do things that are very, very harmful. But again, I think that that question that you're asking right now, Portia, really, it leads us to open the floor um, for a conversation about whether or not did Mary, consent to this. Mm.
1: And that's loaded. You know, it is. And, yeah, that's so loaded. Um, and I was really struck by that piece. And when she was talking about did Mary have a have a, a Me Too, did she necessarily consent to this, or can we look at that, that there was apprehension, um, that she wasn't totally sold when the angel came, like, yeah, I'm totally, like, into this. It's like, but wait a minute, hold on. Me? And I got to do what? And you're asking me to do this? Like, wait a minute. Like, it's just, it wasn't a a, a gun hole like me. Yes, I want to do this. And so, Jamie, you do some work around um, bodies. And so what's your response to something like this in the conversation of our Christmas story as we are reassessing and, and looking at the text from different angles and from different lights?
0: Y'all, I love myself a black minister. I love the direction this conversation is going. This is not what I expected. This is good. Everybody knows heard me said this a million times. I've written about this. This Mary story has bothered me since I was a teenager, and they told me to play Mary in the church play at good old Alfred Street Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. And that was the first time, being a 14-year-old girl, and they paired me up with this adult man to play Joseph, and it was the first time that I was like, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) Just in terms of, like, before we even get to this um, birth narrative, which is its own concern, we already have the concern of just what's happening to young girls in this society and being treated as normal. And if we want to go back to the sexual assault thing for a moment, I don't know if I'm going to engage with this Mary question the way you want me to right now. But if we want to go back to the sexual assault thing, I'm thinking about, as black folks, a lot of us, we just talked to Reverend Tim Jones a few weeks ago, and we talked with him about, especially in the Baptist tradition, which all of us are Baptists, this need to feel that scripture is completely inerrant, that there's nothing wrong there. Um, And so a lot of us, in terms of at least the way we understand scripture, tend to be more evangelical in terms of the way we understand scripture. And looking at what's happening in Alabama, the way that they're responding to these allegations, as we'll call them. I have different words for that, but allegations. I'm with Roy Moore and some of the analysis around that, uh, where people in Alabama are comparing it to the Christmas story or comparing it somehow to Mary and Joseph. But I think because the way that we interpret Scripture, it then allows us in some places to say, well, this is the way women are treated in Scripture, so it's also acceptable in the context of a good Christian man taking care of a 15-year-old girl, whatever that looks like it's okay in that context, too. He was in his 30s, she was 15. It's like Mary and Joseph. It's, it's, it's not. And so there's just, I think, really, and like I said, this is kind of similar to what we talked about with Reverend Jones a few weeks ago. How is it that we are going to approach Scripture and approach it with fresh eyes uh, in light of the current realities of where we are in the world but still be faithful? And so I think, for me, part of the challenge is, understanding the spirit of the scripture Mm -hmm. while wrestling with the letter. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know the intention of the Mary and the, the story of how Mary comes to be with child. We know the intention of that story, which is um, on this woman being faithful to this really special and unique calling that God has placed on her life. Now, is it problematic that it's, (laughs) um, Placing this child, this child into the body of this young teenage girl, yes, we can wrestle with that being problematic, but we understand the spirit of it. We can wrestle with the letter all day, and I'm willing to do that. Um, but the spirit of it, I think, is 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 what during this season, we're really called to focus on. What is that spirit of being to able to accept the new thing that God has for us? And you know, if we're talking about hope and joy, which is um, what we've been talking to uh, Reverend Rashad about today. Um, what is the new hope that we are offered through this teenage girl? Um, that's, so that's kind of maybe how I would answer that question for now. I have more to say, so maybe we need to have a follow-up conversation. So I have more to say, but I think during this Christmas season, I want to focus on the hope and joy that we see even in the midst of that what must have been, in lots of ways, in multi, just in so many ways, a really complicated and painful
2: story. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, a part of the hope and the jo- thing about hope and joy and peace for me in this Advent season is that you don't get to any of those gifts without a struggle. One of the things I talked about yesterday in my sermon is growing up as a kid and, you know, always being that kid in the house, I have a twin sister, I was the one who wanted to rush on the 1st of December to make sure that we started decorating the house because I just wanted to make sure that we made the most of the Christmas season. You know, I used to hate those years where, you know, Christmas came so fast that you didn't put up a Christmas tree until like a week before. I didn't like that. I wanted the tree in the house the entire December. And my mom was the one who would often stopped me from rushing to decorate the house and said, you know, you can't, we can't hang up decorations until we clean the house. And I believe that that is what Advent is about. You can't, Keep trying to bring a baby into a dirty house um, because you won't appreciate the journey of getting to Christmas. And I think the church does, as you said, Jamie, I think that the church has a responsibility against the culture. I sound like Niebuhr, but we have a challenge against the culture to make sure to tell people, hold up, like Christmas is not here. Christmas is not here until December 25th, but we need to spend a whole entire month in that limbo of waiting. And it's in that limbo of waiting that while we're waiting, we're also learning to listen to the pains and cries of women who are screaming Me Too, right? It's it's the students at Morehouse and Spelman who spray paint and deface a chapel saying to the college, like, practice what you preach, because these are also students who are pushing, pushing their institutions to be honest so we may not have an answer to whether or not Mary said Me Too, but what we do have is the answer to say that there are women who are like Mary who are also screaming Me Too. Me Too because the institutions have remained silent. Me Too because the people who know what went down remain complacent. Me Too because of our own just, just shit almost, excuse my language, but... And I think sometimes our call as a church is not so much to have an answer or to figure out where the hope is. You know, and as a preacher, I think that that's one of my biggest challenges where we're we're taught, you know, well, some homileticians would say that every sermon has to have good news in it. And sometimes that's not the case, that sometimes we have to wait for it. We have to wait for the good news to come But sometimes our responsibility is just to be quiet, sit, and listen, and wait.
1: That's good. And I agree with you, especially, you know, as as we're all preachers here, um we're taught to kind of like we'll find the good news and it's like well perhaps the good news is not in the text per se but that the good news is that we have the grace to wrestle with god to know that sometimes there is no no uh no celebration you know as you would in the text right
2: yeah. um
1: and that yeah. we are the good news um
2: We are Christmas.
1: Yeah, we are Christmas. You know I love that song. <laughs> we are Christmas. It's yeah. a very but- popular song sung by the Spellman Glee Club. So shout out to Selman right. Cosgly Club. But
2: home. Reverend Portia, I think that I think that's also, you know, and over the last year, thanks to uh the wisdom of Dr. Leslie Callahan in Philadelphia, I mm-hmm. actually challenged myself last year or this year to follow the lectionary for a year, so anytime I preach this year, I preach from that lectionary text. I read the lectionary text every year, every every week, and I think okay. that going back to my first statement about how we are constantly bombarded with a diet of um, suffering, I think as black preachers, especially coming out of the black church, we have our own liturgical kind of traditions, and one tradition that we have that I think to our detriment is the constant remembering and the repeating of the shout of the black church of the Baptist sermon, which is you could be talking about Genesis in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And somehow by the end of the sermon, the preacher is telling you about Jesus being hung on a cross on Friday. And so it's like,
1: that's nowhere in the text.
2: It's nowhere in the text. And so what happens is you become lazy as a preacher and you think that that is the only good news in the text. And so, I think that as, a, as young, as preachers, we have a responsibility to say, no, that may not be the shout this Sunday. The shout of Advent might just be the fact that God loves us enough to come down to us and be stuck and be in the midst of what we're going through.
0: And I'm going to have to make sure I have this quote right from my new philosopher, Mama Moore. Um, you cannot put up the decorations until you clean the house. Is that, is that a correct, direct quote?
2: Yeah, you have to you have to clean before you can say or or it's like you can clean before you have to clean up before Christmas. But it may not be a direct quote but that was a <laughs> philosophy definitely a philosophy that I got from my mother growing up, that we are not hanging up decorations in a dirty house. You cannot hang lights up in the window and you didn't clean the house. You cannot put garlic on the staircase until you have dusted the stairs and and what we have now in our society is a bunch of people who have used the decorations of success of money of privilege of position of power to cover up a dirty house
0: it now that you're saying it and saying more about it it just reminds me of even my father who is a total the cleanest person in the house the cleanest i think he is the black mr clean um so one of his rules moving into the new year, which is what we're about to do, so I would love for us to kind of talk about the year to come as well in a, in a minute. Um, but one of his rules going into the new year is in addition to doing that collard green, black IP, white rice thing, that was very important to him. That was not important to me. But one of his other rules was about making sure the house was clean. We had to clean the house from top, to bottom because we were not ready to welcome anything new into the house until the and the house is always clean because like i said he is the black mr Clean. but it was very important to him that the house be extra clean for you know for uh, new year's and so i think that's something And I, I don't know maybe it is something that's kind of central to black culture that maybe we millennials might need to think a little bit more about like what is this cleaning ritual that I think has existed throughout generations of blackness, this idea that we need to clean house before we can introduce in all these other things and what does that look like theologically for us to clean house
2: before we... That is... You got me excited. But that is the point of Advent and that's why we cannot rush to... We cannot have Jesus being born. I will never forget, I think it's Reverend Emma Jordan Simpson at Concord, And I think she talked about this on Facebook last year about, like, her angst around, like, when you go and see a manger scene and it's, like, December 10th and someone put Jesus out already. She says Mm -hmm. he's not born yet. And we do ourselves a disservice when we rush to have Jesus born, and I think that's why Isaiah said, I am the voice, crying out in the wilderness, preparing a way for the Lord, I got to make straight the pathway in the desert for our God, I got to make sure that every valley is exalted, every mountain is made low, like, there's this preparation, that was Isaiah's way of saying, this is our way of cleaning up, and so that God could come to us.
1: So, Essentially, what you're saying, it's in the preparing the way that Isaiah is talking about. That's the cleaning house and the cleaning up that we might receive something new. But then we also see this third thing, right? The second thing is when John the Baptist is saying, you know, prepare you the way I've come to prepare the way for the one who is to come. It's not me, but there is one coming. And so there is this second piece, right? So I look at Advent in three parts. I look at Jesus literally coming into the world, I look at Jesus coming into society as this young adult getting ready to do this ministry that's going to shift the culture, but then there's this third piece of Jesus Christ coming back again. And so what does it look like for us in 2017 going into 2018 and, you know, 21st century? What does that cleaning up look like? But then not only are we cleaning up, but then what do we say to those things when we consider, well, Jesus is not yet born, but okay, so, But what do we say to, well, there's no room in the inn, right? So what are the inns that we're not that has no room for Jesus, even though there's all this cleaning up and this preparation, but yet he mm-hmm. still can't come in? And so I wonder what does it look like for black churches mm-hmm. that do the work Sunday after Sunday? You know, we're preparing for these holidays and these festivities. We're hanging wreaths and we're doing tree trimming parties and we're doing, you know, holiday cookie uh Stuff with the, with the youth ministry, but yet still there are people on the street with no meals, and yet there are still people who have no clothing, and yet there are people who still can't shower, and you tell them, oh, we'll go down to the why. It's like, but yet you're cleaning house, but yet you're still forgetting about the people who, just like Jesus, there was no room in the inn. And so what are, have we, in our cleaning culture, have created a new inn where we get to pick and choose what kind of Jesus is acceptable to come into our houses? Like, what is that? Like, what is all of that? Like, so I get frustrated with this evangelical, you know, that's thing that's going on out here, you know, in the age mm-hmm. of 45, mm-hmm. right? I get very frustrated thinking about doing ministry, urban ministry. What are these ends, right? Because Jesus wasn't born yet, he was on the way, but yet they're going to the end and they're looking for a space to be. And yet they're telling them, oh, well, there's no room for you here. Oh, you can't worship that way. We don't shout like that here. We don't dress like that here. We don't talk like that here. Oh, um, if you don't give exactly 10%, then I don't know what you're going to be doing here. It's like, really, though? So it's like the, the joy and the hope of Christmas can easily be diminished when someone who's trying to just get some hope, trying to get a word, it doesn't even have to be Christmas. It could be any time of the year, right, especially like Resurrection Sunday, which is a whole other conversation. It's not Resurrection season, y'all. But it's like these people who are coming into worship, and they, they're hungry for something. They need something. Jesus' family, earthly family, needs some assistance, but yet there's no room for them. And so we shut out yeah. the Savior of the whole world and the, and the in the name of orthodoxies and traditions because, well, this is how it's always done and this is what it's always it supposed to be. I don't mean to rant and sound like I'm signing off, but this is a real problem.
2: Yeah, um, I think that what you're saying in reference to, so first of all, number one, white evangelicalism is dangerous. Uh, I think evangelical religion is dangerous um, for us, particularly uh, people of African descent who are in love with Jesus. And I say that Mm, wholeheartedly and in a serious way, Pastor Tim is right that I think that it has done damage and it is continuing to do damage. Where your only approach to the Bible is to ask the question of how are you going to evan- evangelize me and win my soul over without dealing with questions like the Me Too, without dealing with questions about the ways in which we're not prepared to receive Jesus because there's no room for Him. Um, it's You're you're totally right. And that evangelical thing is, I mean, I know this is not a really political show, but I think that that's why I I wrote on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, stop inviting me to Hillsong, because I can't Uh go to a church that is so concerned about me saving my soul and me falling in love with Jesus, but you don't say anything about the hell that I'm living in. And you will not wrestle with that in-between space of these questions that we're asking right now
0: this has been such a rich conversation and I would continue it for a long time. Um, but I know our listeners have stuff to do and we got stuff to do. So we're going to reprise this. Um, so Rashad, you have an open invitation to come back and continue this conversation with us more, uh, in the future. Um, and Rashad, will you let the people know how they can find you on social media?
2: I am just Rashad. Really, just Rashad, J-U-S-T-R-A-S-H-A-D, on Twitter and Instagram. And then I'm just Rashad Raymond Moore on Facebook.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for being here, and blessings to you during this Christmas and Advent season and into the new year. And we look forward to talking with you more in 2018.
2: All right. Thank you so much. And in the words of Howard Thurman, we are waiting for the sound of the genuine inside of each of us.
1: Okay, Pearls, I really, really hope that you enjoyed that conversation with the one and the only Reverend Rashad Raymond Moore. We are so glad that he was with us. But, Jamie, before we sign off for the day, you know what time it is, girl. It's time for that, what Teddy Pearl. What time is it? Yeah. Teddy Pearl, I'm Jamie. <laughs> so, Jamie, it's the holiday season. And so last time we spoke um, with your Petty Pearl about holiday food and the mac and cheese, it got me thinking. There's something else that's real petty that happens during the holidays, girl, not just people's cooking. You know what it is?
2: Holiday
1: shopping. Mm. Holiday shopping, Jamie. Okay. So I was at the mall with my mother. So when my parents came to visit, it's Black Friday, I had zero intention on shopping, right, zero. My mother thought it was going to be cool for us to go out on Black Friday. And I'm like, no, Mom, we're not going out on Black Friday. And my mother is just like, okay, well, you know, I just wanted to go out and see the malls in New Jersey. Girl, let me tell you. So – parking spaces so first of all we're just trying to park takes forever just to park i should have known better obviously it's black friday but let me tell you what this dude did he gonna run into the parking space and be like oh no i'm waiting for my family member who's at the stoplight and i just want to hold this space for them i'm like really they're at the stoplight and i'm right here Girl, I didn't even let it get to me because I just was, like, looking like, that's my real, real bull. Like, you're going to hold the space. You mean you ran off the block into the shopping center, you know, you know how, like, malls have, like, long driveways in the streets before you actually get to the mall? Girl, that means that person went a, went a ways just to save that parking spot. Okay, so then you park, right? But not even is it petty with the parking situation and people trying to save these parking spaces. So, before Christmas, holiday even gets here, back in October, they're already flooding you with Christmas decorations and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, can Halloween get here? It's September, and you're already got the Christmas cards out. Like, mm mm-mm, no, negative. I'm just like, can we just enjoy the moment and the spaces that we're in before we bombard people with the holiday season? That's all I'm asking. Let's not bombard
0: folks. That's it. thanks for listening follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at just two pearls
1: and you can email us at adventures at just two pearls.com
0: and remember cultivate the pearl within you